Well, welcome to what is definitely the penultimate message in this vision series. I know it was originally meant to be three weeks, and it is now six, but this is definitely, the last one's definitely next week. It de uh, honestly, it is, it is, I know it is now. Are you sure? I am sure. <laughs> However, I'm open to change that if need be, but um, yes, <laughs> I am sure this is. So next week will be the last one. Um, for those who haven't managed to keep up, they are all available on YouTube. And I am going to try and make sure that there's DVDs available once they're all complete. Um, so that for those who haven't been able to get YouTube, for those who don't have the internet, you can watch the whole Vision series. And I'm going to try and put it in a booklet as well for people who prefer to read things. And I'll also try and do like a, a highlights sheet with all the main points on. So that's just to make sure that we're all on the same page going forward with this. We've looked over our purpose, our activities, our training, and today we're going to focus on some structural issues, which is our prayer. I find it hard to get excited about the structural stuff. But you know what? It is important that we work out that we're able to have the structure going ahead to contain what it is God wants to do. You know, Jesus said in Luke 14, verses 25 to 33, um, if anyone comes close, comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's a whole different message there. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see him begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is talking very specifically here about the cost of discipleship. That before you choose to follow him, look ahead because this is going to cost you everything you have. You don't hear that very often in gospel messages, but it is true. Following Jesus means we give him everything we are, everything we want to be. We give him our future, we give him everything. You're either completely in or you don't be in, he's saying. Uh, discipleship has a cost. But we're not talking about that this morning. But as we're looking at vision, that is important to remember. You know, Nothing that we do together as we go forward for God, I mean, there's always a cost, a personal cost to us. It always means that we're going to end up doing something we maybe would rather not do or end up not doing something we would rather do. There's always a cost when it comes to moving forward in God. But that's not the reason I read that out. Jesus is also giving us some very practical advice. Who builds a tower without saying, well, how much is that tower going to cost? Or who as a king in a war doesn't go, well, looking ahead... Can we win this? Can we, can we actually do this? And if not, if we, if we can't win, 
What's the best way to make sure we have peace so we don't have to go to war? Planning ahead, getting systems and structures in place, sometimes doesn't seem very spiritually minded, but it actually is just good sense. Yes, we've got to apply faith. You know, when we build the extension here, we knew how much it would cost. And then it ended up costing more <laughs> because of, well, a whole host of things, including, you know, a worldwide pandemic that sent the cost of building through the roof. So we knew faith had to come in and we knew how we had to make up the difference, but we didn't start blindly. We first said, okay, how much is this going to cost? The original plan was to do that room at the same time, but we knew we didn't have what it took. So why would we start it and only half finish it? And I think the same is true when it comes to the structural side of church. So we're going to start with something today that become a, certainly over the coming year, a really important thing for me to, to really dig into. And it's called chain of command. Going back to our Navy metaphor that we've had throughout this entire series, you know, the Navy may have many fleets, it may have many ships, it may have many captains and commanders, but we all serve one king. One king. But ultimately a captain is responsible for their vessel. They're not responsible for somebody else's, they're responsible for theirs. And as a result, the captain must lead and must be followed. Yes, he must listen to the people around him. His officers in the days of you know, the older navy of um, sail-powered ships, a captain would have been a fool if he didn't listen to his sailing master. Because the captain knew where he wanted to go, but the sailing master knew how to navigate the winds and the waves to get there. So the captain would be a fool to not listen to the good advice. But at the same time, there must never be any doubt as to who the captain is. Being a captain was often isolating and a lonely job. You know, sometimes you think of the captain's quarters and a ship as being this luxurious place that he's all got to himself. But it wasn't really like that. He had a desk in most of the time. and He was in there because he had to isolate himself. He had to have that separation because he had to maintain these lines of authority because if you didn't in a ship, things would go wrong. In the heat of battle, friends would question orders, but crew wouldn't. So that separation was needed. If you second guess the captain, the ship is sunk. If you try and get around the captain by going at somebody else, you're sunk. Actually, they have a word for that, it's mutiny. And the reason it was treated so seriously on a ship was because the fate of the whole ship hung in the balance. And this has been something I've been wrestling with. God has placed me in the role where I am responsible for this vessel, for this church. And I have to give an account for that. Nobody else does. But I have to give an account before God for how this vessel is run. And while I was off on my sabbatical, God really gave me a reality check on that. I mean, he really rebuked me on it. 
My leadership style for these past seven years has not really been me. I've been bending my style to fit, first of all, with how Cliff led, because we're different people, but obviously you want the transition to be smooth. But also, I've been trying to fit with what people want me to be. And I'll be honest with you, it was exhausting me. I've been approaching it all wrong. And I want to stand in front of you this morning, church, and apologise for that. Repent of that. See, when I was studying um, through EOG, a lot of the training we were given, it was all focused on this kind of management style church. You know, this kind of running the church as a business, almost the pastor as a CEO. And I just didn't like that. It didn't sit well with me. So I kind of kicked against it a bit. And I still stand by that. We are not a business, even though sometimes we have to do things a business does. We are a community. We're a family. But what it's meant is I've tried to lead the way I see us as a family, and it's not worked. Yes, we are a community. Yes, we are a family. But when God rebuked me, he said, you've been kicking so hard against business, you've missed the most important part of what we are. We are an army. And you lead an army differently to how you lead a family. And I've been trying so hard to be everybody's friend instead of being your leader. And look, I know you don't need another friend. You've got plenty. What you do need is a leader. And I've been going out of my way to try and keep everybody happy. And you know what? It's not possible. <laughs> you can't do it. I've had so many times, and I've got things wrong, and I hope you understand my heart on this. It's not easy to stand up in front of you all and say, I've got it wrong. I've had so many conversations with people after meetings or before meetings, you know, those quick five minutes, or while I've been distracted and thinking about something else where I've agreed to something off the cuff and then forgotten I've agreed to it. That's bad. That's not good. Or I've agreed with something and then I've never actually took it to the leadership. So then the leadership asks, why is this happening? Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. That has caused, in some cases, confusion. And in some cases, it's caused real pain. And I'm sorry for that. There's been times that's happened. It also means I become a bottleneck. If everything gets funneled through me, sometimes things just don't happen. And I have this picture that came to mind, I think, to help illustrate this a little bit. And it was of Moses leading the nation of Israel through the desert. And there was three different pictures of Moses leading Israel through the desert. The first one was Moses at the back of the queue. And he's trying to, he's trying to push everybody along. Come on, come on everywhere. And you know, there's people wandering off the road. He's got no idea where they're going, but he's trying to make sure the people at the back are keeping up. He's trying to shoo everybody along. And it didn't work. He spent so long at the back, the front was a mess. There was no direction. The second is Moses in the middle, trying to will everybody along, be their friend. You know, hey, she we should go this way. Trying to steer from the crowd, keep everybody happy, mingle. 
And that doesn't work either. The last was Moses at the front, looking ahead to the cloud, looking ahead to the future and saying, this way. The trouble is with looking ahead to the cloud and saying, this way, if you have no idea who's behind you. <laughs> but it's the only effective way to move forward. These little things have led to me having way too much involvement with some areas of things instead of focusing on the bigger picture. And I was thinking of a visual way to, to, to uh, express this. And I'm going to say something that you've all seen. Me running to the back on a Sunday to try and get involved with a sound desk. That's just a visual example of something that happened everywhere in church, I think. Instead of letting the people that have been appointed to do it, do it. I say used to because it needs to stop. If I do that again, you have permission to trip me up. <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> I can't lead by little chats. I don't want to get caught on the hop anymore. I can't lead by that way of just trying to have little conversations with lots of people and agreeing to things and, and then forgetting where we're going. So it needs to stop, and it needs to change from now. It also means some things have had way too much of my attention, and then other things have felt left out. You know, Luke never gives this department much attention. Well, that's not good for anybody, is it? And again, if you feel like what you're doing hasn't had enough attention from me, I'm sorry. That is being the wrong way to lead. But I'm encouraged, you know, because I know Moses also had this problem. Yeah. Yeah. Jethro advised him to do what I want us to do. And I think this is a sound biblical way of structure and leadership. Because Moses was becoming a bottleneck and he was wearing himself out. Exodus 18, verses 13 to 23. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. That's kind of what God said to me. You and the people with you will certainly weigh yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and here to bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. 
but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all of this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses is told by Jethro, Jethro comes and says, Moses, what are you doing? You're doing the work of judge when you should be prophet and spiritual leader. You're supposed to be teaching them the statutes of God, not spending your time on all this stuff. We must establish a proper chain of command. It's vital on a ship. And that chain will be department heads of whatever department you're in in the church, in the church will report to a variety of pastors and deacons and some others who will then feed back to the leadership and in the leadership we will make decisions together. <coughs> different leaders in the church will be responsible for different areas and of course this might change over time as to who's responsible for what, that's, you know, we've got to be flexible with that. And they will report back to the leadership who is responsible for each area. Now this doesn't take me out of the process. What it does is it channels it to me yeah. in a way that's manageable. Yeah. And then also we have a way of saying what's decided as one body can be implemented. Please understand as I go through this, this isn't me putting people in charge of your different departments. This isn't to limit the freedom a department head has, but it's to create channels of feedback and reporting. Now this list is not fully developed, and things will always change over time. But as it stands, this is how it's going to look. Starting with Pastor Cliff. Cliff will be overseeing Hartlepool, funerals, and all of the prayer groups that we want to have going on. Remember we talked about starting multiple small prayer groups. Pastor Cliff will help coordinate those and communicate to those. Pastor Chris will oversee Stockton. By the way, did that last one say Hartlepool or see? Very good. <laughs> uh, Pastor Cliff will, yeah, Chris will oversee Stockton community outreach projects, for example, New Life Hub, Oasis, Men's Ministry, the Community Garden, which hopefully we'll have an update on in a few weeks, and so on. Uh, youth and children's work, leadership training, and weekends away. Again, don't misunderstand this. Chris is not running these. He might not even be directly involved in these, He's the reporting and communication channel on these, and will decide on some small issues, just like Moses was as well. He will be the voice of these areas within the leadership meeting. Alan Coyle will oversee SSE, and that list will get longer at some point. <laughs> Paul Whittingham will oversee the connection to the Family Centre, and he will help Chris with the community outreach side, uh, finance, legal, health and safety, that's all Paul. Jill Coyle oversees the Life Group Logistics. Jill Shields is going to oversee new people's structure um, and help us build that. It might mean Jill long term is running that, but she's certainly helping us establish it. 
and or temporarily oversee the tech team at the back there whilst looking to train someone to take that role on. Uh, Jill is a builder, yes, but doesn't always see herself as a sustainer. So the aim is to build somebody up within the tech team who can take that role on. But in the meantime, it's Jill. Terry Trotter is chair of the Deacons and he will represent the diaconate in discussions with the leadership. He will also look after partnership coordination. Uh, uh, did I just say partnership? I did. We'll come back to that. Um, our deacons, just so you're aware, are the people who we go to over practical issues within the church, buildings and stewarding and so on. Our deacons are Terry Trotter, Liz Paul, Ian Cornforth, Jill Coyle and Emma Morn. And that team is what's established at the moment. I would like to see a bigger diaconate as we go forward. Dave Shields, I don't have told him about this. <laughs> uh, is looking after and overseeing the care force uh, missions as well uh, but also <laughs> I've added one there Dave is spiritual health um, because I think it's so closely tied with the care force um, but uh, it doesn't have to stay with you if you don't want it <laughs> um, now remember for all of these is this isn't me putting somebody in charge of them this is about channeling things to the leadership. There's many other areas within the life of the church, such as the worship team. Oh, I've missed one. Thank you. I missed one. Amelia, um, is, who's kind of been my point of contact a lot with a lot of Celebrate, along with Barbara. Um, we'll see this expand to looking at the other women's ministries, such as the Ladies' Brunch. And again, it's a channeling thing. It's not. You must listen to Amelia, although you should, because I've found that's always good advice for me. <laughs> <laughs> there's other areas such as the worship team where there's still some stuff to work through in this regard, but it's a start. This will be where we start, we'll build from here. And some of these things, of course, will change. So the idea would be, if you have something you want to talk about in any of these areas, if you have an issue with stewarding, you talk to a deacon. Ideally, if it's a stewarding issue, you talk with Liz. If you want, if you have an idea for community outreach work, you speak to Chris, and so on and so on. Now, this massively changes how things work for me. This takes my focus and allows it to become prayer, vision, study. And what is the Lord saying to us as a church? That's where my focus needs to be. That's the best use of my time and energy. And unfortunately, it sometimes had to take a back seat while I've dealt with other things. And I apologise for that. I've not been doing my best for you as a church because I've been too distracted. The ship's captain is to chart the course. Set the heading and keep focused on the mission. The ship's captain does not get involved while the chef's cooking in the kitchen. He might see the menu and approve it, but then he moves on. He's aware of who's promoted within the kitchen, but he doesn't really get involved with that. And that's the only way it can work. Otherwise you find that the captain will be so involved with the menu and so involved with what's going on in the kitchen, he looks up and goes, hang on, who's steering the ship? 
And that's how I've felt we've been a little bit. I've been so involved with everything, I've not been steering the ship. We are a battleship. Amen. There's no room for passengers, and a good crew ensures everyone knows their duty, and everyone works towards a common goal. Now when I say there's no room for passengers, I know there's always going to be passengers. But like I said in the first week, quite happy to have you as a passenger, but don't expect much in the way of accommodation. Often in church we hear something that uh, I've, I've heard referred to as the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I don't know where that figure comes from, but I tell you, it often feels very accurate, doesn't it? Here's the problem though. We generally just accept it as, well that's just the way things are. That's just the way it is. Well today I want to say, I don't want to accept that. I don't want that to be the standard. I don't want that to be the way we are. That's, that's a, a, a crew of 80% acting like passengers. We can't continue that way. Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest. Yes, the workers are few, but that doesn't mean we should accept. That's the way it is. Jesus said, pray. Pray so we see a change. All hands should be on deck. So that brings me to a question. How can we tell the difference between a passenger and a member of the crew? We are going to be bringing back, properly this time, a formal church membership. Or a partnership. Because I don't like the word membership and I just can't get past it. <laughs> Makes us sound like a club, I can't get past it. There will be a partnership course and a partnership agreement that will basically state something along the lines of this is your home church, you're part, you're involved, you're committed to the course. But being a partner will come with an expectation. Crew are expected to work. Partners are expected to be part, involved, and passengers aren't expected to work. In fact, on a ship, the passengers aren't allowed to work, are they? Because you're not crew. And that'll be kind of, in a sense, true here. Anything ministry role-wise, anything that happens on the platform, preaching, worship leading, stewarding, leading departments, the expectation will be is only partners will function in these roles. That means as people come into the fellowship, nobody is bombarded before they're ready. Because it's easy done, isn't it? People who, when they come in at the fellowship, will go through New Life, New Start. They'll go through the new family course, which is the partnership course. And then they can be released into service. It would be a shame for anyone who's come here and suddenly find themselves involved with something way before they're ready and damage their walk. Not interested in doing that. Everybody will be asked if they want to apply for partnership. That's everybody who's here now. Now, we're not necessarily going to make everybody who's been here for years go through the course, because you all know what it means to be part of new life. But it does mean people who come in will be expected to do that. But when I say asked to apply for membership, 
it's not going to be just assumed that because you fill in a piece of paper, you're automatically a partner. This used to be the case when I, I think I applied to be a member, didn't I? That it wasn't just like I was suddenly a member when I filled in a piece of paper. It actually went to the leadership and they decided if I should be a partner. So applications will all be discussed within the leadership, should this person be a partner, rather than just the assumption. And the reason I want to make sure we get this in place isn't to try and stop people getting involved. But I honestly believe in the coming years there's going to be a growing number of wolves out there yeah. trying to disguise themselves as sheep. Yeah. And we need a check. Right. We need a balance in that. Mm. Partners will have responsibility to the church. And the church will have responsibility to the partners. For example, to be a partner, it will be expected that you're regular on a Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to take a register. But it does mean, if we don't see you more than we see you, are you really on board? I think that's fair. You'd expect it as a partner to connect midweek. Now, does that mean you have to be in a life group? No. Although, personally, it's my preference, everybody's in a life group, I think it's good, but that isn't a standard, because we have our Tuesday night. We have SSE, we have our prayer meetings. We have Oasis, we have men's meetings, we have ladies' meetings, we have the small prayer groups that we want to see established, other prayer meetings on top of that. There's plenty of ways to be connected midweek. We're not going to lay it all just on one. But also partners are expected to serve in some form. Now, that can be something as simple as being a part of the prayer meeting. Because I tell you, being part of a prayer meeting is one of the greatest acts of service you can do. Oh, that reminds me, I completely forgot to announce something during the notices. We still really, really need people as car parking attendants. This is probably a good time to mention that. By the way, can I get away with this? Should I? Are you okay if I tell a joke that get me into trouble? God doesn't mind. Oh dear. Um, I was, we were thinking about the car park attendance, and you know, we can. Sometimes we have this image in our heads that it's got to be a man. It doesn't have to be a man. You could be a lady car park attendant. It's not like we're asking you to park the car. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't go outside then. We'll be waiting for you. Just half your No, but seriously, it doesn't have to be a guy. It doesn't have to be a guy. We have this picture because it's always been guys. It doesn't have to be a guy. Although I have to say, guys, if you see a woman out there in the cold and in the rain, I hope you feel pretty guilty about it. But anyway, that's... <laughs> oh, no, I've completely lost where I am now. <laughs> All partners are expected in some way to serve. In some team, in some form. And again, I don't want to be too legalistic about that, but when you're saying you want to be a partner, what you're saying is, I want to be involved. I want to be part. Equal rights. 
<laughs> I haven't lost anybody there, have I? I was just joking. You're all. Okay. <laughs> oh dear, I shouldn't have done that. Do you want to shove them down? <laughs> yes, sorry. So we expect partners to be involved. And let's be honest, if we're asking people to become partners to say you're on board, asking somebody to be involved to be a partner is not a lot to ask. In fact, it seems reasonable to me. Because nobody has to be a partner, only people who want to be involved, and the requirement for being a partner is readiness to be involved. Now, does that mean we don't care about passengers here? No. Passengers should be looked after. And the care team is there to do that. Passengers get fed. But my focus on developing people, and the focus of the pastors, on developing people is on crew. We want to develop people who are crew. Because I tell you, and this, this, I'm sure this is an age-old church problem with any church, is sometimes passengers take all the pastors' focus. People who aren't involved sometimes take all of the focus. That's not going to be the way we're going to operate in the future. I'm also aware that there's some who connect with us regularly online, but don't live anywhere near us. And I kind of get a feeling that's going to happen more. So I don't quite know how this works, because of course somebody who lives further away, you know, can't really be expected to come in person. Of course not. But if you consider this your fellowship in a sense, we need an avenue for you to feel involved. And so some sort of long distance online membership, maybe so partnership is something we need to look at. But I have no idea how that's going to work. But I do get a feeling it is going to be important in the future. So if you're watching and you consider, you know, regularly that this is the church you, you seem to get the most from and you hear a lot. But you can't come in person, then I just want you to know I understand that. And we want to find a way for you to feel more included. Yeah. We, we'll work on that. Because we value those who can't come here in person too. And it could be for a number of reasons. I know Dave Stamp can't come in person at the moment. I know Dina for a long time couldn't come in person. Um, but it doesn't mean we value you any less, Dina, does it? In fact, it's so good to see you, Dina. Sorry, that's too much attention, isn't it? Um, incidentally, I'm not saying everybody has to come to Billingham on a morning. You know, um, you can be part of Stockton or Hartlepool and still be just as part of new life yeah. as people who come here. So certainly, when we're talking again, we'll get hit this next week as we develop more places, that's going to become more important. Warships are not designed for passengers. And for a crew to be a good crew, then we do need all hands on deck. Because I don't want us to treat this mission casually. I want us as a church to say we can set course for full speed ahead. But we can only have full speed ahead if we have an efficiently working crew. Because we've got a job to do, church. We have a world to reach for our king. 
We have a rescue mission that we need to urgently take part in. You know, Dave Shields sent me an example. Hold on one second. Let's see if I can find it. There we go. The great story of an American Coast Guard who was sent out to a hurricane to rescue a ship that was breaking up just off the coast. The captain told his men to prepare to go out to sea. And one sailor replied, but captain, women never come back. The captain says, son, you don't have to come back. You have to go out. God is calling us to serve him in a hostile and dangerous world. But I tell you, if we don't go out, if we don't get ourselves out there, despite the danger, despite the cost, then there's people who will perish. Yeah. We have been given, and you think about it, the Great Commission that's been given to us all is the most important thing that we could ever, ever be involved with because we're talking about eternity for people. Here's your challenge this morning. To be crew, we're asking people not just to join so your name's on a list. Not interested in that. That's why we've not really had a, a partnership in the past. I, I, I don't care about keeping a list of names. But what I do care about is getting a crew on board who are ready to say, let's head into the danger. Let's head into the storm so that some might be rescued. I realise this structure might seem a little confining, that there's a lot of rules almost in there. I get that. I think the leadership had a bit of a similar reaction of like, Ooh, are you sure? But I think this is important. I think this is important. Structure is never comfortable to add, but it will allow us to keep things functioning well as we move forward. And church, we've got to move forward. I'm not content for this church to exist just because it's existed before and we'd like it to continue to exist. There's no purpose in that. There's no point in just being here so that we're here. The point is, is to move forward in God. The point is, is to reach people. The point is, there's a world out there that's dying. And it's getting more and more crazy, it seems, every year. Man, there's things you see on the news now. Like Ten years ago, you'd have thought it was a comedy. You'd have thought it was so, you know, it's like, Nobody could have thought of some of the stuff we see nowadays. No. It's not going to get any better without the gospel changing things. Right. Now I realise we've spent quite a few weeks now on structure. And that's not as, you know, <laughs> it's not as fired up as, as some stuff. But I do believe it's going to enable us to move forward. Next week, we come to the most important part. That's evangelism, mission, church planting. And I tell you, I wanted to do this one first, I'm so excited. <laughs> but we've got to build, we've got to build the road before we get there. But can I encourage everybody, try and be here next week. Because I think next week we're really setting in place our course for the future as a church. And I, oh, I, I want to see us, oh, 
I'll sh no, I don't know. I want to share it now, but I won't. <laughs> but I want to see all of us as soul-winning vessels that are getting out there and seeing this, this, this area of Teesside absolutely transformed for the gospel. And I know, I know it's achievable because he that is with us is greater than what's in the rest of this world, isn't he? He is greater. And I know I quoted that wrong, but still you get the point. <coughs> Father, I just pray that, Lord, we receive this morning's structure and practical things, Lord, with the right spirit. Lord, I am sorry for the times that I have led ineffectively because I've tried too hard to be a people pleaser instead of a leader. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this marks a change. This marks a change in that. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we add this structure, that, Lord, you'll create such a solid base for what you're going to build. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we move forward, that, Lord, we see Teesside absolutely transformed. Help us, Lord, and help us all individually be challenged by that question. Are we passengers or are we crew? Lord, I pray, Lord, we have an effective, passionate crew. Amen.